Welcome to the Portage Health Foundation podcast. My name is Michael Babcock. Um, I am your host here, and we are doing the first of what's going to be many interviews um, highlighting the amazing nonprofits in our community that are make up of our Giving Tuesday partners this year. So for those who don't know, let me get started with what Giving Tuesday is. Giving Tuesday happens every year um, after Thanksgiving, after Black Friday, after Small Business Saturday, after Cyber Monday. All those shopping events are just this big whole shopping mess. Um, but then what happens on Tuesday is we take our, our, our look back and we think about what the holidays are really all about, which is about helping your neighbor and doing, doing right for your community. And that's what Giving Tuesday is all about. This year, we have 18 partners. And uh, the Portage Health Foundation is going to be matching up to $200,000 in donations that come in that day, which is absolutely incredible. So what we're going to be doing with this series of podcasts um, leading up to it is getting to know each of the different nonprofits, telling their stories, um, giving you an idea of why you should support them and the people behind the scenes that make them what, what they are. Um, so we are starting with one of my favorites, um, the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter. Um, well, the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter Home for Abused Women is the full name. Um, and we are with Mary Niemela. The, uh, the executive director there. So Mary, um, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're excited to, to have you here talking about the amazing things you do. So um, first off, can you tell us a little bit about what the shelter home is and then about yourself? Sure. The shelter home is a, a shelter for victims of domestic violence and their children. And, you know, in the title, you said Abused Women Inc., which is true. That is our legal title. However, we provide services to all victims of domestic violence, male or female, or um, uh, any gender. So we uh, we do provide those same services, although we can't house males at the shelter, but we do provide another safe place for them to be. And um, so we have been in um, existence for, this is our 40th anniversary of being a funded shelter. So we're really excited about that. And we're one of the first five shelters formed in the Upper Peninsula, or in the state, actually, there's uh, seven of seven of us in the Upper Peninsula, and the rest, the other um, of the 46 total shelters are downstate. But uh, we're one of the most, the northern, more. How do I say that properly? The most northern shelter of, in the United, in the state of Michigan, for sure. So uh, we are up here, and our we serve Keweenaw, Houghton, and Ontonagon counties. Excellent. And um, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, have you been with the organization for the entire time? Nope. But I can. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Okay. Yep. Sorry, we're having a little bit of uh, visual, but it's okay. okay. We're. We're. I'm here. Okay. There you go. So I have been at the shelters for this is my thirtieth anniversary year of being at the shelter. Yeah. And I showed up there to volunteer and to do nutritional cooking with the staff or volunteers or even the clients and and uh, i was teaching at the time and and i thought maybe i could help out and i left with a job application and never did get to volunteer so um, i started out as the coordinator of volunteer services uh, so i organized all the volunteers and at that time we had 35 volunteers coming from all three of our counties it was great to do shifts because we didn't have to pay anybody overnight to yeah. be there at all. And uh, um, and then over the years, of course, everyone's lives get busy and volunteers get less and less. And we're always looking for volunteers. So uh, if anyone has any time, you know, I always say if we had 20 volunteers to do at least one shift a month, just think of all that, that uh, extra maybe cash flow we would have to provide direct services to clients rather than 
uh, um, paying you know staff to be there. So uh, we certainly appreciate our full and part-time staff and our volunteers as well. They're a great asset to the agency. Yeah. So, if somebody was interested in volunteering, how would they take that next step? I, I know there's a lot of people out there that want to give back and, sure. um, you know, they just don't even know how to take that first step towards being able to do that. Right. It's You could just call the shelter at 906-337-5632 and, and uh, ask for our um, our program manager and and um, she will certainly send you an application for that and, and we will, you know, hopefully have a training soon. Uh, it's difficult now with the pandemic, but we will do the best we can. Zoom has become our new friend, and uh, um, which um, in the beginning it was difficult, but now I look forward to you know having that extra company in in my home as I'm working from home. Uh, but um, so yeah, so then I after that I became the court advocate, and I was that for 17 years, and then in 2014. Uh, when our former director retired, I became the director. So, and I've been that now for six plus years. So. Excellent. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, giving that history um, that I think is really important this year to talk about is, you know, not only is it 40 years, but you guys are, are have uh, signed the, the paperwork on a, on a big move. Tell me a little bit about the move you guys are doing and, and what, um, you know, obviously you said you took over in 2014. So this is your sixth year. Um, it, it seems pretty clear that this, this move will be one of the biggest things that, that, you know, is uh, when you look back at your time here, that one of the biggest things you accomplished. That's true. And, and well, and I didn't start that flow. I, somebody asked me when I, they found out we were moving or looking for a building. Well, how long have you been doing that? I said, probably about a week after I started at the shelter, because, <laughs> you know, the building we're in is a, is a great building and, you know, we're very appreciative to Herman Gunlock for donating it to us for the purpose of using it uh, in that in 1983. And, uh, but now that, you know, we, we've grown, um, we're still only a 10 bed shelter, no matter where we move to, that's what um, the Division of Victim Services funds us at. But uh, nonetheless, we are moving into a space that will have more communal living space and uh, um, it'll just be a one story building and it'll be great. We'll all have our own offices and, and we really, um, um look forward to that and that that move has been going on for a long time we've looked at this current building that we're that we actually purchased since 2013 and i looked at it um after that at two more times and now there's been some renovations done to it which has saved us a lot and so um we are hopefully going to be moving early spring i say february march might be march april but I would move tomorrow if we could, you know, if, if we had right. a system in there, we could do uh, it. One of the things that I'm excited about that you guys did this year, and we talked about this a little bit, um, you and I did, is some of the fundraising efforts you guys are doing. I mean, Giving Tuesday is not the first fundraiser you guys did this year. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the, the fundraising efforts you guys have put in um, so far this year related to the new building. Sure. And, you know, as much as we appreciate the Giving Tuesday, that that will be for direct services to our clients, you know. Um, and because we do need those funds as well. Um, grants don't pay for everything, of course. And um, but our other efforts this year are certainly were halted because of the pandemic. But we also were able to hold our, our music event virtually. It was on um, on uh, uh, Facebook. So that was in June. And and uh, we it, it was fun. But I really miss the face to face contact and the and the um, 
the interactions you uh, have with people who are coming to the event. And, and uh, so, but nonetheless, we were able to hold it that way. Uh, we also did our motorcycle ride in in October, um, which was our uh, the, always the first Monday, and that's an awareness event for us. But it it turned into a little bit of a fundraiser as well because people were were generous. But what we have been doing for our building. Well, hold on, Mary. Do you get out there on the bike? Are you uh, a bike? No, I'm no? in the I'm in the car in the back. I would love to ride. Yeah. Uh, Harley, but probably one that has three wheels and not two. <laughs> um, I, I know our executive director loves the bike. Um, and it's a, honestly, it's a great community for biking with all the yes. wonderful roads we have through the Keweenaw. Yes. And I've challenged him to say, why aren't you in our motorcycle riding? So maybe next year it'll be our eighth annual. So maybe he'll, he'll do that. Uh, well, mark, mark that on the calendar and bug me about it too. Cause then I'll bug him and we'll, we'll do some cool yeah. stuff on social media with that. Cause that's a really neat event you guys have every year. We'll ask him publicly. <laughs> on, on our weekly meetings so <laughs> i like it make them challenge make a make a challenge for them but yeah. uh yes so that that was a really good event we had 32 bikes this year and it, it was just but yet that that was probably middle of the way we've had 50 over 50 bikes so it, it's a nice ride but in, in addition to that for our building of course we're, we're we're having to fundraise to help that along too you know we've had things that come up we need a sprinkler system put in there and we have to build a fence. And unfortunately with all the COVID tragedies that have come about, it's also brought us about some monies from the, um, the feds and the state that we didn't expect, but it, it's, we're able to use that money for some of the things that we can do to the building to make it safer and better and cleaner. Well, I, I'm not that our place is not clean, but, you know, more germ-free, and if they can say it, so ripping out carpeting and things like that. So, um, but then yet we still need to fundraise for the the building of it. So we have had a three-phase campaign going on called Build a Bedroom, and the first phase was held for about a month. Well, not quite a month, but the the chance drawing on that is if you donated a minimum of forty dollars, hence our fortieth anniversary. Uh, you could get a chance at winning a flight over the Keweenaw with Neil Harry. And then um, if you donate $100, you get three chances. So there's a, it's a better, it's a better deal if you can, if you can give us $100. And that was over on October 9th. And then the second phase went until the 20th, which we only have, what, four more, four more days on that one. And um, that will, that is a um, same deal. You you suggested donation of $40 will get you a chance at um, a 24 by 36 painting of the uh, a sunset on Five Mile Point, which my sister-in-law, Janet Sorokmanimala, painted in, in 2010. And it's not framed, but it's valued by a gallery in Grand Rapids at $600. So um, she's a beautiful artist and a commercial artist as well as um, other artwork that she's done and um, uh, all the details of of her work are are on the flyer or attached on our Facebook or our website and um, so that is going on until the 20th so uh, you know please look for that and, and if you want to donate that way but what you're doing is you're helping us build the bedrooms we have to build three bedrooms within the facility it's not exterior work so we're talking walls and windows and doors and and um, in addition to that, there'll be a third phase, which will go on 
um, probably December 5th to maybe the 20th. And um, just look for the details on that. I'm not giving any. Yes, he is not giving us the full information. No, no, I'm not giving you the details on that one. Well, so, but that my goal on, the, oh, go ahead. My goal on that is $15,000. And right okay. now we're up to close to six between the two. So the okay. first one was 3870, 3870, and now we're up over 2000 on um on the uh the second phase. So we still have a ways to go and uh so we really would appreciate that. In addition to that with the house, you know, we'll be looking for volunteers who like to paint Ooh. or maybe adopt a bedroom in, sure. in the sense of painting it and uh you know, maybe supplying some um lighting you know lamps and and just things like that and we'll certainly recognize you for doing that by um having a um plaque placard in the in the entrance to the facility as to who did what and um we we really appreciate that i know people like to do things for just the sake of doing it but if we can acknowledge your efforts um to others so to show that there's so much goodness in the in our community to, to help us all out. Yeah, that's excellent. And um, we're here, of course, talking about a different fundraising event with Giving Tuesday. Um, you sure. guys have done this um, each of the years since we started it. Tell me about the impact that Giving Tuesday has had on your organization um, during the first three years. Right, it's been amazing. I mean, each year it's increased and uh, we were so happy last year to re receive a check for over $35,000. and. And uh, um, that that's just exciting. And this year now the match is even more. And uh, we're we're very hopeful that we um, will see a, a good turnout in the community as well. I mean, it's it's amazing. And and even in the times that we're in right now, people are still very generous, and uh, we appreciate that so much. But those funds have been going to our direct services to clients. Like I said, you know, we've been helping people with. You know, when they come out of their home, they don't often have, um, you know, the funds necessarily to, even if they have funds, they don't have it with them to to get the things necessary to um, to help them after they leave a situation, if that's what they choose to do. And so we've been able to help people, you know, with um, utility bills or, or um, even just the direct services are paying utilities at the shelter. You know, we, we have to be there 24-7 whether somebody's there or not. So it's all those things too. Um, it doesn't get used for for uh, um, staff. It gets used for clients and the billing. So we're very yeah. appreciative of whatever we get. Well, that's that's great to hear. And I imagine, um, you know, even though you said the fundraisers you've been doing this year were pretty good, it was still probably a hard year in terms of um, raising money as a whole. Correct. We we were not able to have our our crafting for a cause fundraiser. We weren't able to have our big anniversary dinner, which was going to be in October. You know, so I'm anxious to write 2021 on my checker <laughs> or on our document, <laughs> and you know, maybe our 40th anniversary will be uh, celebrated in 2021. Absolutely. Let's um let's make sure that we make it a, a better year than this one was. That's correct. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about the organization here. So, um, and this this kind of this question is a little personal. What drives you to stay there? Um, Thirty years at one organization is a long time, and obviously, um, and I'm hoping you're getting paid fairly. But um, you know, you're you're doing this for more reasons than just getting a paycheck, I imagine. 
Oh, definitely. You know, it's all grant funded. And, uh, and then we, of course, depend on local donations too, but not, not again for salaries, but, but yes, I mean, I, I started there to volunteer or wanted to volunteer and I never in my life thought I would work with people in crisis day in and day out. And, but then I was teaching at the time, seventh through 12th grade. So I understood what working in people in crisis all day long was, you know, who's more in crisis than a 13 or 14 year old, you know, in, in just in life in general. Right. And, uh, um, uh, but I was only teaching part-time and I stopped at the shelter to do that and started working there and just developed such a passion for what I do to be able to help people. And I never, never thought I could do that. When I was in college, my roommate did a internship at a shelter and I thought, there's there's no way I could do that. I mean, I cry when they win cars and the price is right. So <laughs> how, how how could I do that, you know? And right. and then I just started, you know, listening to people and that's the big thing. And and you know me, Michael, I, I'm not I'm a listener, but I'm also a talker. And, you know, it it was just so um how do I say rewarding uh or to be able to to listen to somebody and know that you're just listening is help to them yeah. because you know the big things we teach our or train our staff and volunteers to do is to learn how to say mm-hmm and really listen to what somebody's saying and uh hear them out and you know i've walked out of court with people and when i was the outreach advocate and basically have somebody tell me i don't know how i would have done that without you and i never said a thing you know it was just that support person. So, yeah. so it's a passion that you have that that you're able to help people and um, and just be there for them and, yeah. and let them make the decisions because oftentimes, you know, they don't have much ability to say things about when they're living in that type of situation. Right. Um, well, let's let's I want to talk a little more about that, too. What what constitutes somebody coming in there? Like, how does somebody get to the, you know, to the point or not, how do they get there? But what, what when would somebody be comfortable and, and be in the right to be calling you guys to ask for help? What, what kind of situation in life uh, drives that? Yeah. Well, oftentimes, you know, people don't usually come on the first time something's happened, you know, and, and domestic violence isn't just physical. It's the emotional, verbal abuse too. what women have often told us that, you know, uh, he's never hit me, but I, he just calls me names all the time. And, and, uh, it's just so, it's hard to believe that, that you're in that type of situation when it's not physical, you know, but the verbal and emotional abuse can be just as bad as the, um, the physical abuse. And it depends on the situation as to how far someone will stay in there. Often children are, are things that keep people in that situation because, you know, he might be a great dad, you know, Domestic violence is the power and control that one person has over the other person. It's not as how badly they could be beaten up, you know. It's it is that power and control. And abusers are not wearing peacock suits. They're not wearing name tags. They're not wearing all these things that you know make that that their abuse so um, noticeable. But I do want to say that you know, women, we always get asked, why does she stay in that situation? And really, what we should be asking is, why does he continue to be abusive? As a society, we should be asking that, not not put the blame on her. 
And, and I will tell you, there's two reasons why she stays in that situation. And that's love and fear. You know, she mm -hmm. loves him, but she fears the behavior. And, you know, women will do everything they can to try to change themselves to, to satisfy the abuser. But, you know, there's times when nothing is going to satisfy that. Right. And, you know, we just, we really hope things work out. We're not there to make everybody get a divorce or to break up with their partner, you know. And, um, you know, I've been saying she all along, but, you know, 95% of the abuse is against women in the United States are reported cases. So that's where our statistics come from. Which still and, one out of 20 is, is a, um, you know, a man. And, and I guess the point there is that men can call if they're having a situation. You guys are course. ready to answer that too. Yeah, and we have provided services for males as well. So um yeah. definitely and and you know all genders too so and you guys are a shelter home um which obviously means people are welcome to stay there you said you're a 10, 10 bed shelter home um tell me about some of the other services i know that not everybody is in that situation where they need a they need right. a home to stay that night um right. and maybe a lot of people if they would have called you earlier wouldn't ever need a home um, right so tell me about what you guys can do for people if they fear that they if they think they might need help Sure. I mean, there are times when people just need to really talk about their situation, you know, and so we have outreach services where we have one-on-one uh, -on -one advocacy where people can um, make an appointment with our advocates to come in and talk. However, now I'm, I'm saying that like we don't have a pandemic because this is just what's necessary for now. It's not the new normal. And so um, in a, in a, non-pandemic world, you know, we would be having our support groups for residents and non-residents. We would be having our face-to-face -face contacts for both residents and non-residents. And, uh, um, but in today's world, you know, we can do that over the telephone. So, and people can call and, and they don't even have to give us their name, you know. Um, they just need to talk about their situation. And sometimes even women that have come in, in planning to stay will will talk about their situation and then realize that they feel better because they've unloaded that burden off of their shoulders. So, so we also help people maybe if they need to fill out applications for housing or for, you know, they have to apply for assistance, which is very hard for people if they've never had to do that before, not the application itself, but just the asking, you know, right. it's, it's, it's hard to do that. You yeah. Know? you know, asking your parents for an allowance or something. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's very degrading for a I lot could, of people. Yeah, I could, I could totally um, picture that. So it's, it's, I love to hear those services you guys make available and it's, um, and it's important for people to know that those services are there. You know, if you or somebody, you know, is <clears throat> could use the, use that helping hand, make sure you take advantage of having the shelter home right, right in our community because um, they are available. And, and tell me which, which counties do you guys serve? We serve Keweenaw, Houghton, and Ontonagon counties. Now we have an advocate in Ontonagon County. We don't have a shelter there, but we have an advocate that goes into the uh, the courts with with people who, who when they need um, some support as well, just like our advocate here in Houghton and Keweenaw County does. And uh, of course, that looks all a little different right now too, you know. But nonetheless, the the service is still there. We're an essential service, and and you know we have to be there to help the people. And even how we take in somebody who needs to stay in the shelter right now looks a little different. So, you know, um, if you need to stay, find a place to stay that's a safer situation, still give us a call, you know, 
Um, in yeah. the in the past, we would say just show up at the door, but right now we can't even do that. You know, it's it's please give us a call if you can, and uh, um, and and people have been doing that, and everyone's been um, appreciative of the service they've been receiving. Plus, they've been compliant with, uh, you know, hopefully quarantining a little bit and before we can bring them into the shelter because we have to have them stay in another location for five to 14 days, depending on their situation. So, right. And I know we've had calls um, throughout the, the year um, with you and other nonprofit partners in our community um, about what the, what COVID has, has meant to your organization. Um, and so we've already kind of talked about a little bit how it's affected your fundraising, made that more difficult. Um, and you guys have also done all kinds of stuff in to make it a safer place for your employees and people who come into the house. Tell me a little bit about what some of the work you guys have done on that front. Sure. We have been provided the ability to get all the PPE you can imagine. Now, if you were going in to go to the hardware stores and look for any of those painting jumpsuits, I've bought them. So there's none left. No, <laughs> <laughs> I only, I only bought one in every size. Just because, you know, if somebody really needed to do that, I could, they, we would have that too. We have shields, we have masks, we have gloves, we have all the, you know, things that we can get our hands on. And, and just like everyone else in the beginning, it was really hard to get. You know, we had to right. have them sent from, gosh, I don't even know where, um, the, the wipes, you know, because um, um, it, it was just difficult to get to get them. And I really hope it doesn't get back to that level again but but we are still not able to take people in face to face for um our support groups or our our face to face advocacy and and even though our advocates are talking on the phone with those people and helping them out in whichever way they can it's it's i think everyone's isn't it ironic to say that everybody's wanting to get back to face to face you know if nothing else it's a check in for each of them because if you're in a support group, you also develop a, a kinship to the people that are in there, you know, um, and uh, become a support system for each of them too. So, uh, so we're really hopeful that you know that'll that'll change. In the are you um, support groups in that? Are those free of charge for people? Yeah, there's no there's no charge for any of our services, none whatsoever. That's, that's great. And, and the part of the way you guys are able to do that is by funds like Giving Tuesday coming in and, and helping. Um, right. and one of the things I want to make a plea to people, um, if you're thinking about um, these organizations and, and, you know, Mary talked a lot about all the different things that they had to get in um, in terms of masks and shields and all of these other things. And for the most part, Mary, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys didn't have to pay for these. It was more of a logistic issue to get them, correct? Right. Most of it, yes. Some of the things we had to buy, immediately we had to buy the things that were available in the community, but it was minimal. And, yeah. and now we've received, like I said before, those those some of those grant dollars from the, um, you know, the uh, other, through our state coalition and, and different things like that, places like that where we've been able to receive monies to get those types of things. And, uh, you know, um, we, we have to get shields up on our desks and we, you know, even though like I've been working from home since March 26th and trust me for an extrovert, that is not an easy thing to do. So I, I have certainly uh, found out having this, the staff around me is much more positive, but in our new building, we'll all have new offices. And so we'll all be able to be back there 
uh, um, I'll be able to be in the building as well. But right now, we're there's three of us in an office, and you know we've had to move desks around. We've had to put up partial walls just to follow all the recommendations from not just the CDC but our funders as well. Yeah, and, and what's yeah. interesting is you're talking about all these things, and and a lot of it is money issues, but it's also um, it's taking you away from your primary duties that you would do on a regular basis. The shelter home is still running. You're still having to hire people. You're still having to, you know, give give through all these logistics. And and I hope people out there right now, um, thinking about their situation, if you have the ability and you have extra, you know, extra income right now that you might not have had, you know, whether it's been from um, different things related to COVID or the fact you just haven't been spending money like you usually would, which is I know for a lot of people true. Um, I hope you consider places like the shelter home um, to to make a donation to because it that money means a lot to them. And you have to remember that these groups have not had the ability to do a normal year and therefore planning has been harder and, you know, just getting things done has been harder. So if you're if they're able to get extra money this year, more money than usually would, it'll make their 2021 a lot, a lot better and hopefully a lot more smiles moving forward. Um, because it's this stuff is, has been really stressful, and I, I mean I've seen it on, on in the conversations we've had how how much it's taken a toll on people. Right. I mean, and we've been very appreciative of the weekly meetings through the Portage Health Foundation, as well as other um, agencies as well, just to be able to find out resources that are out in the community. I would imagine that on our weekly meetings, um, our Zoom meetings with the Portage Health Foundation, we've all learned something. That, right. Oh, we can get that there. We can do that. You know, we can we can keep that. And even having, you know, like the health department on there to keeping us abreast of what's happening in the community has really been able, for my, for my benefit, for myself, been able to calm down some of the panic of people that are saying, "Oh my gosh, this is happening. That's happening." I'm like, "No, no, not really. You know, this is what I heard from the health department." And and uh, where we may not have that knowledge otherwise if there weren't for weekly meetings like like what's what, we, what we've been able to attend. So. Right. So we're closing in on the end of our, our conversation here. But um, one of the things I would love to have you do is to talk about um, a something that would be kind of um, and I don't expect you to give the exact details here. Um, actually, I prefer if you didn't for privacy's sake. Um, but I'd love to hear you talk about, um, you know, one success story that stands out to you. Um, you know, without obviously names or anything specific, but talk about somebody who kind of, you know, your organization really made a difference in their life. Well, you know, there's, of course, a confidentiality. I appreciate, you know, not asking the details. And and that is one thing that we really pride ourselves on is the confidentiality of the agency, you know, um, from, from the staff perspective. And, and um, uh, so, I think this the situation is that if somebody really wants to get out of out of their situation and that's happened you know and and in in the past I don't even know how many months it's been now 6 8 months since we've been doing this um there's been an opportunity for us to take somebody into the shelter and um you know help them get into their own place you know and in not being the first time that they've left, but being the time that where they have said, this is it, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't go back. I can't live like that and really help. And, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. And so this was the time when things happened, you know, I mean, in maybe the other couple of times or three times that been in the shelter, come into the shelter or have left the situation, it just 
wasn't the right time for all those um, pieces to fall into place. And I would say that, you know, this was the time to do that. We were able to help with security deposit and, and um, um, you know, different things to, to uh, help them help her move and, you know, supply that um, U-Haul, the money for the U-Haul and, and those types of things. You know, it's not often that we can do that that we have enough funds to do that, you know, and, uh, and it's not all about the money. It's just about the help too. I mean, there's times when we make a phone call and we can, uh, people will donate, you know, um, furniture or, I mean, one time in the, and this was a number of years ago, I put up a plea out to my friends on, on uh, email that said, Hey, is, is anybody getting a new washer and dryer for Christmas? You know, well, Trust me, Michael, don't go buy your wife a new washer and dryer because you you're not, you know, who knows where you'll be staying on New Year's, but <laughs> or an iron. Don't buy an iron either. But but you know, there's times when that's just the point of that's what you need to get at that time. And and so what that family did was they didn't give their old one, they bought a new one for them. So or they, you know, collected everything from their church. They brought it to their church and said, Let's help this family out, you know. And and those are the types of things that, boy, do we wish we could say, who did that? Who's the one that gave that? Who, you know, because we, you know, and again, I have to go back to saying it's not the fact that you did it, but we just want to talk about that there is so much good out in the world to help us. It's not just us at the shelter doing that. It's the people in the community that help us to do that, you know, because yeah. we can't do it all by ourselves for sure. No, I love I love that you're bringing in the the Copper Country community. Things like that are um, what make us all proud to call this place home. Um, you know, have the reason we've all chosen to live here, um, which is a good thing. So let's let's finish up here. Um, I want to remind people. Um, you guys are always looking for volunteers. Um, remind people again how they can uh, volunteer to help you and what kind of volunteers you guys need. Sure, our volunteers are there for um, the shift work that our day staff doesn't fill, and so it's usually evenings and weekends um, for for that, and it could be anywhere from a four-hour to a, a six-hour shift. And you know, every volunteer hour that you give us is twenty-five dollars and forty-three cents towards a matching grant. So we really appreciate those volunteers as well, not just for the time that they provide and that our staff doesn't have to be there, but also what impact it has on our budget as well. And um, so we're, we're very appreciative. If anybody wants to volunteer, our business line is 337-5632. Our crisis line is 337-5623. If you're in the Antonagon area, our crisis line there would be 884-4004. And after five o'clock, that would ring up to our shelter as um, our agency. So um we're we're there and we're operating so thanks again to everybody in the community who gives to us all year long not just at this time but we really appreciate the funding coming through the hashtag giving tuesday yeah and of course if you want to donate part of giving tuesday um the port of health foundation is matching community donations up to two hundred thousand dollars total um, between 18 different nonprofits. So if you want to donate, we're accepting them now. Um, you can mail them to us. Um, we are located at 400 Quincy Street in Hancock. Um, you can mail it there, or you can go to the website, phfgive.org slash givingtuesday, and you can make a donation there. Um, they're already starting to come in. We've had a couple for the shelter home come in already. So 
Um, we're off to a good start. So make sure you get out there and make those donations. We appreciate it. Uh, Mary, thank you so much for joining me for this, this podcast um, and sharing your story. More importantly, thank you for all the work you, the rest of the staff, volunteers, the board, all the people at the shelter home. Our, our community is a much better place because of people like you. Well, thank you so much for having us. All right. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can also find it on YouTube or Facebook. Thank you guys so much.